And welcome to the BSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy Podcast. It's uh, Thursday, 17th of November. It's, um, oh, we've just had the uh, the autumn statement, or whatever they call it, from uh, Jeremy Hunt. And so we're all a bit poorer. Are you feeling a bit poorer, Phil? Yes, it's very sad. <laughs> Don't cry. Um so I think the markets have taken it actually reasonably calmly. Actually, I don't think there's any, you know, and I don't think there's anything. Well, we're all a bit poor, aren't we? You know, um, we're not going to talk about that. Everybody, if you want to know about the awesome statement, go and find out about it yourself. They are. That put everyone in their place, didn't it? Um, I'll tell you what, we also funny out just, you know, I tend to sort of have a little bit of a rant sometimes at the beginning of these podcasts. But obviously we've got the G20 going on at the moment. And... Um, uh, I noticed that uh, um, Justin Trudeau uh, upset Xi Jinping. Did you see that? Yes, I did. They were having quite an animated conversation. No, it's really rather interesting, I thought. Anyway, look, I'll tell you what, I, I think we sort of been chatting a bit about it. We do talk a little about China. China um, is so important for the whole macroeconomic global environment, which then comes down into tech and trans and that sort of thing and you know china has got actually some pretty substantial issues going on at the moment which i must confess i've sort of been putting my mind to a little bit as you know i wasn't on the podcast last week because um, i was in walking along the beaches not looking at the peaches um but actually thinking about things a lot and you know what i i find china really interesting to try and work out at the moment because you know they've got this zero covid policy we know that actually they're currently undergoing deflation because they've got factory gate prices going down um we know that freight rates are back to pre-pandemic levels and actually going down the other thing we know house prices in china are going down we know that they've got sort of 15 to they've fallen about yeah 15 to 20 percent over the last couple of years they also have a really serious problem with youth unemployment which is double from about 10% to 20%. And, you know, when you get all these this unrest or difficult people feeling worse off than they were last year, that's when you start saying, hang on, what is this this government doing for us? And the Communist Party clearly can't have that. Um, otherwise, you end up back in 1989 and we all know what happened then, don't we, Phil? Yes. Yeah. What was it? Tiananmen ah. Square. Well done. I love it when you get a quiz question right. Um, so what, what I find interesting is that the way what also China can't afford to really do is end up in what I describe as a Japanese style property slump, an Asian population deflationary disaster, which Japan saw in the sort of 80s and 90s. And so what I think China's going to do, and bear in mind it can do this, it can do what it wants really because it's a communist government. I think it needs to sort of quietly devalue the uh, renminbi. And I think the government will then absolutely push its own manufacturing to basically get back manufacturing and sell goods to the West at very low prices, almost flooding the West with cheap goods that we just can't resist it. That way he gives a massive boost to the Chinese economy. And actually what he does to us is he gives sends the deflation our way and we end up buying Chinese goods again. And as an example of this also, the way I see things going, I don't know if you noticed, but the, they've just announced uh, that the 
I don't know if you follow this, but I obviously follow the airline industry quite closely. The C919, which is the first Chinese, um, um, it's a sort of Airbus uh, A320 or a Boeing 737 equivalent, uh, but it's their first uh, commercial aircraft, which they've been designing for ages, by the way. Um, but um, it looks like they are actually about to start selling them. So all of those aircraft of Airbus and Boeing that the Chinese were buying, suddenly they're going to actually buy Chinese aircraft. Even Ryanair, by the way, has said they'll buy one of these. Uh, I also noticed that they are, are, are basically Mercedes-Benz have said that they would sell an EV into China. Wait for it. All right. This was incredible for just 50,000 RMB. That is $7,000 or under £6,000 for a Mercedes EV. In other words, what I'm trying to paint here is we're about to go into, I think, this weird sort of deflate mid next year deflationary era with the Chinese basically pushing out um, cheap goods, really cheap, um, that we won't be able to resist, which changes the whole dynamics an awful lot. That was a little bit of a starting rant, uh, as you can probably gather. I don't know. Did you agree with any of that? Yes. Good. Well, um, I do. I've been, I've been, no, I've been reading about this and I'm, you know, old enough to remember what happened with Japan in the late 80s and the 90s. Um, and 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 China has got a massive amount of production capacity uh, and people employed uh, that needs to be active. And and ultimately, if global, yeah, you know, if the global economy is softening up, the way to drive demand is going to be through through pricing. And as you know, as you point out, exporting um, deflation into the West. Yeah, yeah. So it could be quite interesting. Yep. Uh, and then I see the other thing that just sort of caught my eye a little bit this morning, actually, was that uh, Andrew Forrester, uh, who is that's Forrest, um, the CEO of, of Fortescue Metals, phenomenally, probably the most successful mining guy ever in, in Australia, is pledging, I think it's like, he's trying to set up a fund of, a vast fund, billions, um, to basically rebuild Ukraine, but rebuild it in a green way um with sort of renewable energy and everything which i think is fascinating and i see i think it's um larry fink of uh the ceo of black rock who is also a billionaire has said this is a great idea um we also uh want to get involved in this um so um yeah, actually, it's a $25 billion fund he wants to launch, and he has said that he will commit half a billion to the fund. So that will be a fascinating thing as well for the whole transitional energy uh, plan. But we're going to start on transitional energy because also, sadly, today, it hasn't been a great day for the sector, has it, Phil? No, not for the UK um, sector, sadly. So no, talk no. us through Ilica and Ceres, who had announcements today. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the first one I saw was, was Ilica, tickets IKA, 43 million market cap, a trading update. Um, this is battery, uh, battery tech. Um, solid state and, battery. Yeah, solid, yeah, absolutely, solid state batteries. Uh, and oh man, the challenges of engineering and, you know, doing advanced tech, they've said, you know, they, they've been developing products, but of course these products, you know, you develop them, you get design finalized, but you have to run it all through product qualifications or the testing that goes on. Um, you also have to optimize your processes so that you can yield the thing commercially. You don't get loads failing in production. 
um, and that sort of yield drives margins. And they've been doing all of this work, uh, but they have said um, that on their M300 product qualification, now expected to complete in Q2 of 2023. Um, though, you know, I don't reference the statement, the original commitment on that, but nonetheless, they've said that um, they've got commercial demand in the, the medical device sector um, and initial orders, but they've said that um, revenue ramp up will be commensurate with product commercialization timelines seen in that sector. I don't, I'm not sure quite specifically what that means, but on their larger batteries uh, for electric vehicles, um, they've said the performance of these, you know, the tech is, is is increasing from what they've, they've seen, um, but uh, they've said um, that the uh, that, yeah targeting lithium-ion energy density parity, energy density is all key batteries uh, towards the end of calendar year 2023 rather than early in the calendar year 2023. So quite a slippage there. And then they've announced small revenue and EBITDA losses of uh, four and a half million for the first half. So still got cash, but delays in major projects. Well, the, the killer punch, unfortunately, was at the Good end, where it actually said, as a result of the revised expectations for the speed of Sterex ramp up, revenue in full year 24 and 25 will be materially lower than in previous forecasts. Right. So you're right, they've got 18.6 million of cash, but you know they look as though they're going to have an EBITDA loss this year of 9 million. Well, that only gives you two years of cash, which is what the market is focused on. Look, we actually like this company a lot. I think they've got a really interesting product. Building batteries is just so tough. Um, you know, we, we've actually done some work with them in the past. The real shame is, you know, the price now is down at 27p. You know, when they floated back at the um, end of 2010, I think it was, they were trading at something like 75p. Yeah, uh, that's not a great 10 year track record, but I don't blame it on them. You know, it's it's actually an interesting company, but clearly got some really big challenges ahead. Um, so that was the Ilica, and then Sarah's. You better talk through that one. Yeah, quickly. So is power fuel cells, and they've been around for a good number of years, um, and also electrolyzer technology as well. Um, but they, you know, they've got licensing partnerships with with Bosch and Doosan and Shell and, and Y China. China. I mean, these are important partnerships, but um, they are, you know, looking to develop a joint venture with, with Bosch in Germany and Weichai Power. And they have said that last night, quote, uh, negotiations will not conclude this year. And approvals to the joint venture agreements with those parties are being postponed until 2023. So clearly not, uh, that's not progressing as expected for them. Um, and they've said that de de delay their intention to seek a premium listing on the main market. Well, you know, it's not, it's the slippage here that's important, um, you know, and what will happen in 2023 with these agreements, which are important to them. It's a shame because actually, if you look at most of the sort of RNSs across the whole market, a lot of them are pretty good. And actually, there was one little one today that was, was actually a bit more upbeat than normal, but it's a company that's gone through a lot of stress and strain. But I know we, we've talked quite a lot about it, and so I'll let you, you talk about it. Because uh, again, we like what they're doing, but you know they've got themselves into a bit of a pickle. Uh, but Techmar actually came up with a little bit of potentially good news, didn't they? With a potentially strategic investor. Yeah. Yes. They they look. They've been under. Well, they've had a strategic review on the business uh, and how it's going to proceed and be financed going forward. Um, and they have been you know, obviously reaching out to potential partners to work with them. But they've said that they've made 
quite good progress in those discussions and they've got a partner that may uh may invest and help them stay as a stay as a public company uh you know rather than being being acquired you know, acquired or take private so there's a bit of progress for them yeah yeah well done techmar well done alistair um now talking to which because these were you know we we had our picks and shovels list didn't we which hasn't necessarily been the best oh, list no. um but you know we do try this has been a very tough market but one of the others on that actually again uh which has had a lot of issues recently and actually we we do act for them so we're a bit careful but pressure technologies uh came out i think it was was it on um probably it was on uh get my dates right because i forget sometimes because obviously i'm sometimes made inside beforehand but i think it was on tuesday um that they've raised two and a half million pounds at 30p which actually was a pretty good raise not not a very big discount and i the, the existing shareholders certainly have showed us and peter gillenhammer very supportive here um they have lost their cfo and we'll be looking for a new one but i, I think he rather took the um well someone had to take one for the team shall we say uh over the, the issues that had coming up to it but any any view on that phil Yes, um, I have. This is a long-established, Pressurex is, um, is a long-established engineering company, Sheffield. Uh, they specialise in uh, very large cylinders um, that can can store uh, gases under extreme pressures. Um, these go into submarines, um, so they've got to be contracts with the, uh, you know, with BAE systems on the dreadnought submarine program but also for hydrogen storage and they're working with shell on that so you know they've got good long-term contracts they've got super blue chip customers but they you know it's engineering it's lobby contracts material costs have gone up particularly for um for steel and you know and the manufacturing can be challenging they've had they've had some difficulties there and they're exposed to the oil and gas business as well uh, and that's been slow but recovering so it's created you know obviously a, a stretch on working capital and, and cash requirements so very yeah very pleasing to see them raise that money it was needed yeah look i, I i'll be honest with you, i own some of them myself I, i've been up and visited um i have a lot of time with this company if you tried to replicate it it would cost you far more than the current share price and it is involved in you know very important Ministry of Defence contract, so they really can't even let it go bust either. Um, but you've got some very supportive shareholders there. Um, clearly, after you've just done a fundraise like that, you don't ex can't expect the price to go shooting off. But you know what? Probably will find in about nine months' time, six nine months' time, like, suddenly the price will be twice as high as it is today. Um, no one will quite know why. It'll just go there. Um, but yeah, I like the stock a lot. Anyway. Uh, what what else have you been saying? Because I've been I've been I must confess I've been down in Cornwall, haven't I? Doing a bit of bit of work down working from Cornwall, as they say. So you're probably going to have to do all the news today, Phil. <laughs> That's no no problem at all. Right, let's stay on the subject of BAE Systems. Um, you know who Pressure Tech obviously work, working with on the, on the submarine side of things. Um, but they BAE Systems, um, one of our biggest defence contractors. I think it's BAE. I think it's 4100 BAE Systems. It must be. Um, but they've reiterated their their group guidance for for 2022, um, and they you know they're seeing some benefits from FX, uh, but also they're involved in the shared buyback program. But they have pointed to a strong year for order intake. Well, this is defence. Um, and they secured 18 billion of uh, orders in the first half, and they secured further orders of 10 billion 
um, post the first half, and they've highlighted in there, a lot of folks would have seen this on the news in particular, um, but they've received uh, orders from the MOD for Type 26 frigates uh, of 4 billion, but also they've seen some pretty significant orders coming in from US defences, uh, US defence contracts as well. Um, uh, yeah, and then just a bit, a bit more about what you know, money being spent uh, on naval systems in, in the UK, their jobs. But it's one of our biggest defence contractors um, and an important business for the UK. Uh, not surprisingly, the shares are doing well. Um, Sparing money, there's a war going on and there's missiles firing everywhere. It's hardly surprising. But actually, what I find interesting about BA Systems, I mean, it was, it was originally the, you know, the British Aerospace. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, it's been around on the stock market, you know, ever since I've been doing it, and that's since the early 80s. And uh, I can, you know, actually, had I, had I sensibly bought them maybe when I first came into the market in the early 80s, I probably could have bought them for, I don't know, today's money equivalent because it's had gone through a lot of changes. I don't know, 10 or 15p or something like that. And it's actually, if you just sat and held onto them, yes, they've had the odd bump with, you know, different things going on. But here we are at 762. You would have made a huge amount of money. And it just goes to show that, you know, a good company and something like a defence industry, great, great investment. Good, good companies, strong brands and staying on, staying on kind of big engineering um i just caught this andrew as we've had to delay our podcast a bit today but siemens yeah um, uh, statement from siemens um we obviously technology and engineering conglomerate um you know it says, it says on the statement trains to factory software well that's a that's a fair description from reuters there probably trouble on the siemens train this morning um but they have come out with a statement on their Order backlogs, uh, reported backlogs of 102 billion euros. Uh, so very confident chief executive here. Um, we are very confident continuing strong business trajectory in 2023 business year. Uh, no softening of demand, um, demand for hardware, software, uh, digital business demand. I mean, I've got to say this is a pretty, seems to be a quite a bullish uh, statement and look, Siemens is just one to watch because you've got a you know in terms of industrials and industrial spend, you've got ABB um, as well and Schneider in the space, and they're forecasting revenue growth of six to nine percent during the uh, 2023 uh, fiscal year, uh, and it's not seeing any signs of industrial slowdown. There we what? go. Yeah, one of my, it seems very complicated because the, the Siemens, the Siemens Energy, oh, yeah, and then they're yeah. buying Siemens Gamesa Renewable Energy. I think I, I always get yeah, a bit confused, yeah. but obviously it's quite important for the whole sort of wind power and long duration energy storage. But that's really good news that they've just come out with something very positive. That's, you know, we hate to harp on about it, but we, we're sort of, you know, Infinity Energy Systems has this joint development with Siemens Gamesa Renewable Energy. Uh, we're all hoping that commercial release date will happen next year and actually they will suddenly become very, very interested in the whole long duration energy storage market. So that is great news. Well spotted, Phil. Yeah. OK, so so this ties, this kind of moves on to Spirex Sarco. Uh, SPX is the ticker, 8.3 billion market cap. Um, and they had a trading update for the four months to October end. Um, Spirex Sarco is uh, a long established industrial company. Um, and they specialize in steam uh, equipment for steam processing and steam processing is used in all sorts of you know, particularly food manufacturing. I think it's used in pharmaceuticals, 
um, and the heat heating systems um, and the heat systems are used again you know across sort of like semiconductor industry processing industries um, you know pharmaceuticals and then they do uh, what are called peristaltic pumps as well I think they go into to medical but they had a they had a trading update um, and this was a this was a really interesting one because they they opened up by saying that uh, global industrial production is now forecast uh, to be 2.9% low and 3.5% originally forecasted. So kind of they're seeing a you know, Siemens are seeing one thing in their markets. Uh, I think Spike Psycho is seeing something else in in their in markets. But they had said um, that and their pumps business seems to be going very very well. Um, it looks like in the steam side of the business, you know, they're trying to tackle inflationary uh, inflationary costs. Um, and they've also said in there they've, they've seen, I mean, they've earlier flagged this a bit of margin impact. Uh, and yeah, here we go on the pharmaceuticals biotech sector. They're seeing 50 percent organic growth. Um, and I think that's on the pumps. But what they have said is that even though they're expecting their operating margins to be low in the second half, below that the first half, they are actually maintaining uh, their guidance for full year operating profits. So, you know, these shares are off, I think, under about 30% year to date. But I would say this is one of those where you look at it, it's got blue chip customers, Pretty broad sector exposure, but also a bit of exposure, you know, exposure to the cycle and inflationary costs. But it's a strong, strong company. So at a price, you know, you watch it, um, and at the right price, it's one to 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 look at for the future. Quite interesting, cool. That again, it's it's a company that's been around a hell of a long time, isn't it? Yes, it's been around again yes. since ever I've been in the market. So. Uh, yeah. You know, exactly. you're talking at least 40 years. It never really did an awful lot, did it? Until about, well, till after sort of the global financial crisis when it really started to get a lot of momentum and sort of actually yeah. shot up to about 16 pounds. As you say, it's come back to about 11 pounds. Um, so, yeah, um, interesting one. Certainly, as you say, probably one to, to watch, as they say. What's it? Just to you know, get reading up on, get to grips with. Just look at the end sectors it's exposed to, and watch out for news in those end sectors. And that's what that's what downturns in the stock market, you know, to my mind, and I've learned over the years, are all about. It's like you know, within individual sectors, uh, what's moving, where's money being spent, and where's money likely to be spent for the future. I mean, on those, you know, on that note, Halma as well, which is another of our larger industrials, and particularly is uh, HLMA, uh, market caps 8.5 billion. Uh, and they just uh, reported uh, interim results. Um, and Halma, you know, this is tech and transitional energy, but it's one of those companies that's absolutely full of bloody technology. Uh, you know, it's like instrumentation, so they do safety, uh, safety equipment, um, fire safety systems, gas detection systems, industrial access controls. They do environmental monitoring equipment. They've got healthcare technologies. So they acquire uh, lots of smaller companies. So there's lots of individual brands under the mothership uh, that is Halmer. Um, but there, I've got to say, I mean, their results were a bit of a mixed uh, a mixed bag. Uh, the largest revenue growth, interestingly, came okay, from the USA, uh, mainland Europe. Uh, they saw growth of 14%, 13%, but Asia Pacific only 1%. Uh, 
Um, I think this was China, uh, China impact there. Um, but you've got to look at underlying current uh, sort of figures here because of the currency, Andrew. Of course, you know, we've seen you know, in terms of the dollar strengthening currencies having a big impact on company results. Um, and they said that um, they'd seen sort of constant, what we call constant currency. So, you, you know, it's like for like currency levels, uh, currency growth of 9%, but their pre-tax profits were down a bit to 145 million, 13%, but they had a disposal that wasn't repeated. Nonetheless, I think there was a bit of disappointment in the profit level. Um, and the cash conversion as well was 63% below 90% target. And that's because of they were having to put a lot more money into inventory for working capital. So, you know, again, these shares are, I think they are down from they're about £22.50 today. Uh, at the end of December, they were about £32. This uh, you're, you're right on the prices. I mean, what's interesting to me about Harmer is if you look at the, the chart, again, it's a company that's been around for, forever and ever. Um, the chart is almost identical to the chart of Spirax Alco. Uh -huh. You know, both sort of went nowhere until after the global financial crisis when they just went shooting up. Um, and they're both big companies now in the FTSE. I mean, you know, I remember yeah. them as really quite small, small cap companies. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Well, again, it, I remember after the global financial crisis, um, and I was, you know, I was covering industrials at the time, what happened was, you know, as I said before, a lot of these companies that have got fantastic, you know, within them brands that are known in their customer base, and they got, you know, blue chip customers globally, people started spending, there was, you know, there's a real dip in capital expenditure then post the crisis, and then people started spending again, and very quickly as well, companies started to uh, put money back into CapEx and were buying their kit. And it really, you know, really helped boost them. And then as we went along and, you know, the cost of capital was lower, they were acquiring a lot and building up mm. portfolios of kit, uh, with the Halmer in particular has been very acquisitive. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the ones to, uh, these are ones to get to, get to know, get to grips with, look at news flow and, uh, you know, at the right time because, um, you know, they'll see spend come back. Well, actually, I'll tell you what, talking about getting to grips with, and you may have more more companies you want to and talk about. Um, I'm going to run out of time, but SSE had their results also. Uh, and this is a company we've talked about in the past. And I just, I, it's, it's drives me insane this. I mean, I actually do own them again personally. I'm, I'm, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm doing quite nicely out of it, of course, because it's got a lot of wind power and that sort of stuff. It ticks, should tick all the boxes, but for some reason, it never quite takes off although actually again if you look at it over the long term it's been actually a pretty good performer so i shouldn't really complain but what did you think of their figures bill did you look at their figures it's more like come on andrew i always miss one and you always pull me up on one no come <laughs> <laughs> on man i love it okay well just yeah. for they, did, they did have figures uh, i mean one of the problems with the sse is that people are obviously looking at it uh and saying well you know is there going to be a windfall tax or something like that on it because it's an energy provider and no one quite knows obviously at the moment on their energy bits they're making a lot of money they were pretty good numbers they did reiterate their sort of growth rates for the next five years which are pretty good growth rates they obviously pay out quite a nice um dividend but it's a bit of a, it's an upsy downsy stock that sort of goes up two pounds, comes back two pounds, goes up two pounds, come back two pounds. I don't know. It, it, it's, uh, but actually, longer term, it is sort of heading in the right direction. So um, I think it's, um, it's a stock that I own. Let's put it that way. It's quite a good pension fund stock, I think. 
Sorry, I caught you out there, Phil. Come on. Um, have you got another one or another couple? Yeah, of yeah, I have very quickly. And this is on a longer term view because I remember that this Sage Group, right? Tickers SGE, 8 billion market cap. Um, I think our only tech company in the FTSE 100. Uh, but they have four year results. Now, Sage is HR and accounting software. Every business, most businesses will know what Sage does. Um, but Sage, you know, was originally the business was founded on the, the sort of software licensing royalty model, and it's been moving over, um, you know, as many software businesses are onto onto cloud, um, you know, onto a cloud model. Um, but they've just reported their uh, results, which show um, four percent increase in revenue uh, to just under two billion. But the US was up twelve percent. Uh, to 800, 820 million uh, pounds of turnover, and Europe was up by 8%, um, and their underlying EBITDA was up by 3%, um, and they said organic operating profit, always look at this to get the underlying, was up by was up by 8%, and very strong free cash flow as well. Um, also recurring revenue growing, strong cloud services growth, so that was, it. That was a good set of numbers there from Sage, actually. Um, yeah, so I was quite impressed. I was quite impressed with that. Yeah, yeah, we've we've talked through half the blooming footsie here, you know, Phil. All these stocks are in the footsie. I mean, again, Sage, um, as you say, we all know it because we all get paid for it, really. I mean, but I mean, Sage had this crazy dot com dot com boost in its share price when it, it skyrocketed to sort of eight quid uh, and then collapsed back down to sort of, I don't know, one pound fifty or something. But that since then, the turn of the century and after dot com boom has gone from one pound fifty back to eight quid again. Uh, so we're back on our sort of highs again for Sage Group, off a little bit today. Um, but as you say, some of these big FTSE stocks have been actually pretty good performers because they're, dare I say, safe and boring, uh, which is what the FTSE 100 is on a sort of global basis. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, look, it's Sage. They're all they're all nice, safe pension fund holdings, I think. There, there we go. Do you want one quick small one before we go? Oh, go on, go on, why not? I've got to get one in. And this is, we've we talked about this company before. It's solid state, it's on AIM, SOLI is a ticket, 142 million market cap. Um, they are a specialist in electronics. They supply electronic components. They design electronic systems. Uh, they design battery. Uh, they recently made an acquire, acquisition of a battery um, pack systems business in the States. They're exposed to all sorts of markets, communications, defense. Um, but they have said that they have uh, been awarded a 7.3 million contract by a NATO support procurement agency to supply communications equipment to a defence customer. So a bit of good news from them. Uh, they had a good strong trading update in October, uh, where they're expecting six-month revenues of £59 million, pounds, up 51% bit of acquisition in there, I think. Um, but um, and they've also seen benefit from strengthening the dollar. So that was good news for solid state. And it's it's not quite at a record high, but it's up on its highs. It's been up sort of fivefold in the last three to four years. Been a great performer. Nice stock, as you say, still plenty of potential. There. Perfect note to end on. Right. That, and that is probably about half now as well. I hope everybody found that useful. Do give us comments, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think you maybe tipped it off in a fortnight ago, but don't forget we have our Acris Showcase event with a few technology and transitional energy companies coming up on November the 29th. Uh, that's a Tuesday. It's all day. We've also got Sir Robin Saxby 
uh, the chair was the founder of Arm, coming along and speaking at 11.30ish or so, I think, telling us his views of the future for technology, the winners and the losers. Uh, I think that'll be a key part probably of our, our podcast, not next week, the week after. Um, any other comments? Just get in touch with us. If you want us to, you know, pass this podcast on to your friends, get everybody listening. On that note, I'm going to stop. Thanks, Phil. We'll speak next week. We'll do, Andrew. Look forward to it.